This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.co.uk for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be having coffee with Elizabeth Jenkin. Now, for those of you not aware, Elizabeth is the Chief Commercial Officer for Nimbler, which is an insurtech disruptor. Elizabeth began her career in financial services and moved to insurance as an underwriter in 1999. Following this, she moved into broking with 19 years at Aon and lastly as the Chief Broking Officer for EMEA before she recently was the Managing Director of Strategy at RFIB the Lloyds Reinsurance Broking House. Elizabeth also serves as a non-executive director for the Women's Football Association and sits on the advisory board of Amici Performance Solutions. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. I hope I got all of that correct. Absolutely spot on and thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So if we could start off just by sharing with our listeners a little bit about your background, the work you're now doing at Nimbler and the most important question, what you have for your coffee in the morning. Yes, I'm a skinny, flat, white girl in the morning. That's, that's my go-to coffee. And actually, that doesn't change, but I don't drink coffee after midday. So this is a bit, we're recording this late in the afternoon. So this is an exception for me. But I'll make an exception today. Well, I work on separate, separate time zones, which is why I've got a strong black coffee wrap right now for the US, <laughs> US work coming this evening. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We can be on US time zone for this then. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you pretty much summed up my career. I don't, I don't really know what to add. I, I came out of, of school, went to university and, and dropped out. So I haven't come across the sort of normal, normal route, if you like. I took the stairs rather than the elevator right. and went into customer services in, in insurance. That's where, I, that's where I started, which was a good place to cut my teeth, really, to sort of understand what the actual customer likes. And then... I was transferred up to Canary Wharf with that company to actually go into underwriting. And I underwrote commodities for a number of years. And then Aon knocked on my door and said, you know, do you want to do broking? And I thought, well, that's actually quite a good idea because I wasn't a very good underwriter. I I like to say yes as much as possible (laughs) like brokers do. And so it probably wasn't going to be a long-term career for me. I didn't get found out at the time. Goodness knows what I left behind in terms of uh, underwriting performance. I'm sure you would have been a favorite underwriter for a lot of brokers. Yeah, I think I probably was. And then, um, yeah, I went to Aon and started as a junior broker and just worked my way up through the organization and stayed there 19 years. And my last role was the chief broking officer for Amir, and they were really happy years. I loved, I loved my time there. I loved Aon. It was during a very transformational time with Greg Case being there as well. So, learned a lot about how you can take what was basically a, a cluster of lots of different companies. I think it was eight hundred acquisitions that Aon was made up of, and unite that, which was which is no mean feat. And, and he did the most fantastic job. I then had a reflective moment really about do I stay with Aon for the rest of my career or do I 
do I take the leap and, and move somewhere else? And the opportunity at RFIB came up. And that was particularly interesting for me because it took me into the world of reinsurance, which I really didn't know very much about. It took me into the world of strategy, which I had been doing at Aon, but I hadn't really had my, been able to really spread my wings on it. Yeah. And so I was able to learn reinsurance. I was able to implement some good strategy um, along with the CEO of the time, Stephen Beard, who, who was fantastic, really enjoyed working with him. We then uh, managed to sell the company to Tizers, uh, another um, Lloyd's broker. Yeah. And I stepped down, the CEO stepped down and so did I. And I was going to take six months off. I thought, okay, great. I will spend some time with my family. And then Mimbler kind of knocked on my door and said, oh, would you be interested in coming to speak to us? And I said, yeah, okay, why not? Uh, and then just literally just before lockdown, I agreed to, to go and work with Mimbler. So strangely, I haven't met a lot of the team that I'm I'm working with, but uh, I, I did do some technology projects at Aon and I really enjoyed them, but they were some of the most challenging things that I was trying to do in a big organization. And that's what drew me to Nimbler. It's kind of, well, it would be really interesting to see how startups work, how, you, how it works getting investor funding, how it works scaling a business. And I'm learning that very quickly, uh, but also bringing the experience. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, of what a big company looks like to Nimbler as well. So we're, as we're scaling it, making sure that you know we, we've got the right systems and operations mm -hmm. in place, as well as the right go-to-market strategy. So, so that's where we are at the moment. I was just going to say that it, it could be argued that it wasn't a great time to to join a new um, startup tech company, but it's, it sounds like from everything I'm hearing that it's going really well. Yeah, uh, there probably was a moment about a month in where I thought, oh, Lord, <laughs> this might not have been the best, the best mood. But actually, if you've got the right product, the product w wins through any storm. And uh, Fleming, who's the CEO there, who was the brainchild of the single invoice insurance, as he was working on something else, actually, he was looking for a product just like ours and couldn't find it. So he said, all right, OK, I'll build it then. And the demand for it, the, the, the SME sector is so badly served in terms of, in terms of trade credit. You know, it tends to be very expensive for them. It tends to be very complicated. There's lots of uh, red tape. Um, it, it's a, it can be confusing. So we take all of that out and they can, they can literally pick and choose what they insure very quickly digitally and you know, within three to four minutes get their invoices covered. Whereas before it used to take a week, two weeks, and you're toing and froing with your broker and your underwriter. And, and, you know, it's a frustrating sales process, both for the broker and the underwriter and for the business, actually. So it's nice to be able to cut out all of that noise. And So does that work directly with the policyholder or does that go through the, through the broker? Uh, it depends. So we have a number of distribution channels. Uh, brokers are one of our distribution channels. Yep. But uh, the way that we work with them is we're able to give them a specific link, which they use, and all their customers use that link. And then we're able to uh, feed back to the brokers via Bordereau um, what their customers bought and, and, and then the relevant commissions around that. Excellent. Well, I imagine this time with everything that's going on in the world, that customers and brokers are looking for a simpler process. And if they, if they can cut their costs of their credit funding and make that simpler process, then I'm sure, um, I'm sure it's a good time to be 
in the market? Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the biggest channels for us is what we would call general brokers. I'm not sure if they'll thank us for that phrase, but you know, the the sort of they're able to bring all these products to their to their customers. And trade credit's always been one of those ones that was like, oh, it's a bit it's a bit complicated. I might trip myself up. I don't really like it. So this actually ticks the boxes, particularly at the moment because of the government backstop. The government have 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 given the insurers, the, the guarantee, the state-backed guarantee. So we're having our moment in the sun, if you like. Right. Finally, <laughs> after 25 years or something of working in trade credit, we get we get probably two weeks in the sun. But but it is a really good product for SMEs. It helps with funding. It helps with cash flow. Um, and we're able to get it to the front line quickly and easily through the general broker channel. So So they are clamoring for it. We'll be very happy to put your contact details on our show notes, the podcast for any of our brokers or policyholders that might be listening today so they can get in touch. Thank you. Elizabeth, if we can now move move through to the interview section of our podcast, I'd like to start off by asking you what you do personally on a daily basis that helps set you up for success. So... Um... I don't think there's going to be anything too exciting in my answer to this, I'm afraid, but I do want to be honest about it. I I make my bed. That is one <laughs> thing that I absolutely do do every morning and I make it in a very specific way. And I think there is something about that that just sort of sets me up for the day and the cushions have to be right and the covers have to be right. I tend to read a number of different news channels in the morning. So I read The Guardian, the BBC and the New York Times just sort of see what's been going on in the world in the last 24 hours. So I don't tend to watch the news. I I don't tend to watch very much television. I have a cup of coffee, obviously. So I have my my skinny flat white in the morning. I check my to-do list. Um, Although I work for a tech company, I actually still love a bit of paper and a pen. So at at the end of every day, I create my to-do list and then I check it the next the next morning and I prioritize what I'm going to do that day. Um, and I use a very simple one, two, three system. So one, I really, really have to do and probably get it done by lunchtime. And then twos and threes c- can wait for, for the rest of the day or even possibly to tomorrow. I like to have breakfast with my children where possible, which, are, which has been a joy of lockdown. I've been able to do that every day. But it kind it kind of depends, uh, you know, as and when as and when things um, ease a bit, I'll probably manage to do that two or three days, and that and that keeps me nice and grounded, <laughs> and sets me up sets me up nicely for the day. You know, check my diary. I, I don't meditate or anything like that. I sometimes go for a run, probably about three mornings a week. I'll go for a run, but it's more likely I'll do that at the weekends than on the weekdays. That's great. And I love how you get a balance of your news and insight into the world and the ec- economics of the day. Yeah. And, you know, great to set yourself up for the day, knowing what, what's happening and getting a, a balanced view on that as well. Yeah. I sometimes, I keep one eye on Twitter, but I do find it's a bit of a, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to read the, the top bits and not, not the big threads that go on underneath because the minute you get into the threads, I, I start to get very anxious actually i i get worried that there's so much so much anxiety in the world there's an awful lot of opinion out there and there's not too many on twitter who sit on the middle no (laughs) that's very true not many fence sitters no that's for sure we understand that to be a successful insurance business leader there's often adversity to overcome along the way so as well as asking you about what your biggest achievements been so far in your career 
what has also been your largest setback and how did you overcome that? Yes, yeah, so I've thought a lot about my biggest achievement and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't particularly say it's any role that I've had in a job. And I narrowed it down to two. The first one is being able to raise a family and still keep a meaningful career. And I do think that is, that is an achievement. And I think very often professional women forgot, forget to pat themselves on the back about that. Great achievement. Yeah. And my other achievement is to start my own not-for-profit company, Lift As You Climb, which is a, which is a women's network which goes across all industries and all and all generations. And it's about three years old now. And when I see some of the outcomes of that, some of the conversations that go on that enable other women to further their careers, then that, that's way more exciting than, than a lot of the sort of day-to-day things that I could be doing in insurance. So I think that those, those are, I would narrow down as my biggest achievements. In terms of um, adversity or setbacks, I'm not really sure it's a setback, but at some point, and I think it was when I was raising my family, I moved away from frontline client work. And in doing that, it, it somehow made me less valuable in an organization because yep. I didn't have any pound notes attached to my head. That being said, I was able to go and work on strategy. I was able to work on leadership skills. I was able to work on project management. I was able to work on technology. So actually, it skilled me in a completely different way. But at the time, I remember it being being quite an anxiety-inducing moment that, that I'm I'm going to be losing value because I haven't got I haven't got that sort of group of clients that that you normally have. I'm not sure I've dealt with it. It's just I, I'm skilled in a slightly different way to other leaders. I think mm. so. I'm not I'm not channeled in one area, so I'm able to bring enough to be dangerous. you know about technology about leadership about project management about operations about risk and compliance Mm. these are things that I've touched all through all through my career um, in a meaningful way and so I'm not just that person who can broke marine insurance who happens to have got to a leadership position and and I think that that makes me stand out certainly does and I think sometimes particularly brokers that holding on to those clients and, and being client-facing can actually slow down their development and slow down their their career path because it's, it's, it's quite a hard thing to do when you've got those clients and they're worth a certain amount of money to the business each year. It brings you that value. It can be quite a daunting thing to let go of. Absolutely, but, but in hindsight, you know, it was, a bit, it was a bit difficult for about three or four years. I was wondering what my value was, but actually... In hindsight, now it, it's it's a good thing. It stood me in good stead. It makes me a much more versatile leader. Yeah, that's for sure. You touched upon it earlier that, that you didn't finish university and you you fell into fell into the industry as so many people do. When was that eureka moment? That light bulb moment when you realised you could be successful and it all clicked into place for you? So I'm going to say something. I think. For me, it was when I stopped behaving like a man. There was a lot of, as I was growing up in the insurance industry, I was surrounded by a male cohort and I felt I needed to behave like them in order to get on. Mm. And then actually Aon invested in me to go on a year-long female leadership course. And it was during that year that I really found my own voice and you know, felt that I, I was good enough. I didn't have to pretend to be be one of the boys. Yeah. And I emerged from that, not a different person, but I certainly had a different 
different view of myself and wanted mm. to be viewed differently. Uh, it's that, it's that age old adage, I am enough. I don't have to try and be somebody else. Um, and I think that was my eureka moment. That's when I really started to, uh, yeah, find my own voice and do things in my own way and, and, and plow my own furrow. It must have been a very liberating time in your career. It was, that, it and still is. Giving you, know. giving you confidence as well. We talk about confidence a lot in the podcast, the confidence to go to that next level, perhaps go outside of your comfort zone. Maybe, maybe that gave you that confidence that you needed to, to push forward. Absolutely, definitely. And I, I can't thank Aon enough for having put me, put me on that. I had a senior sponsor called Dominic Christian and, and I was the kind of guinea pig to go on this, to go on this uh, leadership course called Top Flights run by a company called The Pipeline and fantastic women who run it, Margaret Madonna and Lorna Fitzsimons. And over that year, I learned and grew so much. And I can take that example now to Nimbler and be looking at the investment in people and developing not not just young people. I wasn't young when I went on this. You know, I was in my <laughs> I was in my early forties. So it's it's never too late to start learning and adapting and, and and finding your own your own way of doing things. That's so true. That's so true. It's very well onto our onto our next question about mentorship. So have you had a have you had an influential mentor who's had an impact on your career and, and what have you learned from that person? So the one who stands out for me is Sue Campbell, who's currently the CEO of uh, women's football. And I think you mentioned at the beginning, I sit on the uh, board of the women's FA. And, but I actually met her on this leadership course. She came to tell her story about her, her career journey. And she is unique. And I don't use that word lightly. as I think it's overused. She has this incredible steely tenacity, but she has such immense kindness running through every, every vein. She's got a razor sharp intellect and she's got a true passion for what she does. And the thing that I've learned from her, not just from her, but she displays it in all its glory is the power of team and how everybody plays their part. And she celebrates all of her team. She, she doesn't have politics. Um, she just looks at the goal and, and then individually hires the best people she can find with the right values and the right ethics to then, to then execute on that strategy. And she's now, I think, I've never asked her, but I'm going to guess, I think she's in her early 70s. Mm-hmm. And she's got, she's got more energy than the Duracell bunny. And she's so focused on... And it's not just about women playing football. It's that she would put it that we can make more social change than governments. You know, by keeping women in sport, by keeping girls in sport, it reduces their propensity to self-harm. They have better relationships, r- reduce number of eating disorders, you know, you know, all, all of those kind of things, better mental health that come with playing sport, good coaching, being in a team. So it, it's been it's been remarkable to be part of it and I've loved it. That's amazing. I, I appreciate that the women's game in the UK has come on an incredible amount over the last 15 to 20 years. A lot of our, a lot of our American listeners will probably be quite surprised to hear that women's game has only become professional in the last five or six years or so. And has only really been, been starting to get that investment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, for me, it's been a really good example of the long game. And I do talk to my team about this quite a lot. You know, it is a, 
marathon, not a sprint sometimes. <laughs> some things are a sprint. Hackathons are a sprint, I'm <laughs> learning. But some things are, are slower but purposeful. Um, and it's been a great lesson for me watching, watching the, um, the game plan for growth strategy, which we're just coming to an end of, and we, we announced the new strategy later on this year. And, and, and how that's been rolled out and, and, and the work that goes into setting strategy. So, yeah, it's, it, well, I, I hope I've given them plenty of, plenty of help as well. And, and also, you know, a non-exec is there to challenge them. But I've certainly learned a lot too. Fantastic. And over the next few years, over the next three to five years, if you were to look into your crystal ball, how would you see the insurance industry developing? And how do you think business leaders should adapt to that environment? Honestly, I'm not sure that it's going to change a massive amount in the next three to five years, having been part of it for the last 25. And everyone keeps saying, we're going to be disrupted next year. Next year is going to be the year of disruption. I'm not, I'm not really sure it is. It's kind of not set up to be disrupted. There's so much compliance. When you're, when, you're li- li- when you're the little guy standing on the outside looking at all the big organizations, it's difficult to get things done because there's so much quite rightly, risk and compliance to get through and diligence, et cetera. So there are quite a lot of hurdles to being able to create a lot of change in the industry. I'm, I'm keep, keeping a very watchful eye on the Lloyd's blueprint. I think there's some very exciting things in that. If, if John Neal is successful at pulling that off, I think that would be, be tremendous. And there are some individual companies as well who are doing some very exciting thing around technology, particularly Brit. I think they've got some some great people who are who are really pushing the boundaries of, of how we can put policies together and, and, and bringing data into it. When I think about the what leaders can do, I was thinking about this question and I came back to Nimbler's values, which are sort of trust, care and courage. And I think we need to trust trust people more. I, I think having worked for big organizations, there, there's always People talk about wanting to be innovative and talking about wanting to do new things, but there is a genuine fear around doing that as well—a kind of fear of failure. So, trust trust the people with the ideas, and you know it's okay if it doesn't go okay. It's okay if <laughs> if it does, if you don't always win. Uh, care about your staff, really important. Care about your team. You know, at the moment, goodness, who who knew this was coming? And the power of the team as as I've been seeing with Nimbler, is is so important at times like this and being able to work effectively together. Encouraged to try new things. Encouraged to try new things. Encouraged to say no. Encouraged to say yes. Yeah, encouraged to try and see things differently. I also think from a talent point of view or from a people point of view, look wider and deeper than the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Some of the best people I've hired in have been from outside the industry. Yeah. And they bring a really great and new perspective. Well, you probably know this from working working in your industry. Actually, not all the good answers come from within the industry. It's helpful to have an understanding of it. But if you're hiring intelligent people, they, they can pick it up, you know, pretty pretty quickly. So, yeah, look look wider and deeper than, than the immediate talent pool. Yeah, in terms of um, bringing in talent, I think there's there's quite a lot of talent out there now who find the industry a very appealing industry. There's low low barriers to entry into the insurance market. It's a very much a relationship-driven market now with that added 
technology as well. So I think it's a really appealing career opportunity. Someone most most of the larger companies are global companies, so there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of really interesting opportunities mm. out there. And actually, it's it's not usually something that the kids are taught at school to be a, a broker or to be an underwriter. But the opportunities out there, and obviously that's something that we do in our business a lot is to explain those opportunities and what what is out there for smart people who work work hard yeah passion yes i I think we probably brand ourselves quite badly uh the insurance industry and and you know the press don't do us any favors either but I, i can't remember who i was talking to but they said we should get rid of the word insurance and just call it risk yes sounds sounds more exciting Yes, I guess to to school leavers and university leavers, um, insurance has a has a connotation with it. Yes, I agree. I mean, the insurance obviously allows all that risk to happen, and yeah. explaining to young people that that is why these daredevil things and these huge projects can go ahead is because of that insurance, that boring insurance in the background. Yes, um, and it's it's telling those stories. I think that mm. will inspire people to mm. come and think about it. You know, I think the big brands are very are actually getting much much better at it. When you look at LinkedIn, etc., I think they're they're looking much more appealing places. They're looking much more diverse as well. So that will the, that will absolutely the, help. A lot of the sponsorship, Aon, the sponsorship, AIG, uh, Gallagher's with the rugby. There's there's long standing being insurers being sponsoring rugby events, but I think I think that draws a, a, a much bigger crowd in, and I think getting into football will make a massive difference actually yeah as well okay great so we're now going to move into our next round which we call the espresso round because it's short sharp and straight to the point so i have to ask you elizabeth are you ready for the espresso round absolutely bring it i'm glad to hear it's not too late in the day for you (laughs) (laughs) the espresso round great so question one so what is your favorite success quote the harder i work the luckier i get i love it I think, uh, is that a Gary player from, from a golf? Uh, I think it's been attributed to a lot of different people. I think Mark Twain was one of them. The latest one I heard was Samuel Goldwyn from Goldwyn Mayer, who, who I think you know, said, all, said all sorts of great things. But mm. yeah, so I'm not quite sure exactly who it's attributed to, but it's really good and it's so true. It's amazing. I think when you're going through that stage of building a business, I think at that point you really see that flourish because all that hard work in those early years it then starts playing off in multiples and multiples and multiples of that work yeah absolutely great what is the number one thing you see holding back insurance professionals from becoming more successful i would say don't be scared of technology it can enable you so uh, what I see a lot of the time is there's a fear around it. It might take my job. It might cut me out of the loop. It might, my customer won't value me anymore. I, I see the opposite in, in what, I'm, what I now know technology can do. I think it can make them, I think it can make insurance professionals look great. Do you think that could be a positive that comes out of this situation we're in at the moment that some companies are being forced to use tech? Yes, absolutely. And we know that there's a, there's a layer of insurance, insurance society, if you like, who doesn't want to embrace tech, who, who, won't, who won't do it. And now they've been, yeah, they've had their arm 
put behind their back now to use it. So, and it's working, you know, customers are getting their risks placed and Lloyd's, I think has shut the room for the first time ever in its history, but things have still managed to happen. Maybe not in the best way every day, but things still do happen. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's certainly forced the hand of a lot of people who previously were too scared or just did not feel comfortable with that technology to be making those big decisions on it. And it's amazing how quickly people can adapt and how companies can adapt. And now they're all, they're all using the, the same technology and they're, they're, they're working just as well as ever. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to our next question. So how do you drive forward the standards of the insurance industry? at Nimbler? We pay all valid claims. That's right. That's what we're there to do. If something goes wrong, we pay the claim. Uh, so that's the first one. Risk and compliance aren't considered a chore at Nimbler. It's at the heart of what we do. And the risk and compliance people sit around the table with the leadership team around all big decisions. So it's very much integral into what we do. So we're protecting our customers along the way. And the third one I would say is around diversity. We're constantly challenging each other on making sure that we have a diverse group of opinions when we're making decisions within the business. So I'll give you a good example. We, we're going to pick uh, three charities that we're going to donate to every time somebody buys an invoice, um, every time somebody insures an invoice. And we wanted to give the customer a choice of, of three um, and so we put it out to the whole company, you know, what are your nominations? And, you know, this, the most fantastically diverse amount of um, nominations came in that if we'd been a panel of two or three people just trawling the internet for, for charities, we would never have come up with. And of course, they, they then run through our values as well, because mm-hmm. they've actually come from, from the Nimbler people. Moving on, further question I have about Nimbler, actually. So um, what does Nimbler do to develop talent? and to maximise their chances of being successful insurance business leaders? Yes, I looked at this question about business leaders, and I think the first thing to recognise is that not everybody wants to be a business leader, not everybody wants to be a COO or a CCO. But let's turn it round and think about we would want everybody at Nimbler to be leading their own careers, Mm. so with our help and with our encouragement. So rather than being leaders of the business, if you like, they're leaders of themselves. Uh, We give every employee at Nimbler, regardless of of the role that they're doing, a amount of money every year, which they can spend to invest in in their own upskilling. And I really like that because having worked for big organizations, you only had kind of what was on offer in terms of training. And that could be from Excel spreadsheets to all sorts of other things. And then there might not be enough places for you to get onto it. And it's only run twice a year and all of those kind of things, which can be really frustrating if, if you really want to know about these things. So we give every employee a, a certain amount of money and they're able to then go and spend it in any way they like, as long as it's on some kind of <laughs> upskilling or training. Yeah. So that that's one of the main things we do really. We don't overmanage people. We try to, and we're still small, so we're able to do this we're able, we, we try and employ people who are quite self-motivated, yeah. who are quite self-managed. So we haven't got a big, heavy management structure. Yeah. We like to prefer to check in with people. We, set, we obviously set strategy, we set direction, and everybody knows what, what their role is within that strategy. So yeah, it works. 
It sounds like they they all have a lot of freedom and opportunity to actually build their career how they want to build it rather than being pigeonholed or told to go in a certain direction. They they actually have the responsibility to pick their own courses. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we we monitor things like how many introverts and extroverts we've got in the firm. So, you know, making sure that we haven't got a lot of people shouting the loudest who get heard. So we're always looking at the mix of people that we've got in the decision-making and making sure that we've got the introverts and the extroverts. Has everybody had their say? And that, I, I think we get much better decisions that way. Yeah, definitely. Finally, if you woke up tomorrow morning with all of the knowledge and experience that you've built up, but your company wasn't there, apart from picking up the phone and giving me a call to see what I've got at the moment, how would you go go about starting your career again? And what, what would you do if you were to have your time again in your career? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is it would be okay. You know, obviously I'd be really gutted if Nimbler wasn't there when I woke up. I'm assuming all the people would be though, so that's what matters. Um, you can assume that, yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably use it as a bit of a time of reflection. Say, okay, well, that chapter's come to an end. What what next for me? Is, is it going to be insurance next for me? And it sort of circles back to something that I've said earlier around I've worked hard on my transferable skills. Mm. So on the technology, on the risk and compliance, on diversity, project management, leadership, all of those things, which I could take to any industry. So it wouldn't have to be insurance. I, that said, my heart's in insurance, really. You know, I've done 25 years and I would, I would like to stay there. So what would I do? I'd obviously, you on speed dial first and then think about, well, do I build myself? Do I build something new from scratch with myself? Or do I think about joining another organization and how could I how can I help them? Fantastic. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time today. I think it's been really insightful. If I could just ask you for one piece of closing advice and our listeners, how do they go about contacting you after the show? Uh, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, Nick. Piece of advice, I guess any, anybody thinking of making a move into InsureTech, I can highly recommend it. And if you want any advice, then please come and find me on elizabeth.jenkin at nimbla.com, N-I-M-B-L-A, just for, <laughs> <laughs> we're a tech firm, so we have to spell things differently. Yeah, so, so um, scout me out and I'm very happy to, to help where I can. I think the, the closing thing I would say, the insurance industry is really small um, and treat people really well on, on the way up because you're going to need, you're going to bump into them again at some point, uh, even if it's decades later, um, and you'll probably want to work with them. So leave a good legacy as you go through, as you go through the industry. I'm sure our listeners will agree with that wherever they are in the world. It is a small market. It's a global market, but it's still a small market and people know each other very well. Careers often overlap with others. So I think that's a great piece of advice to finish on. Thank you for sharing those details as well. We will be putting those on the show notes for the podcast. So if any of the listeners want to have a scroll through those, they'll be able to reach out directly to Elizabeth. They'll also have my email address on there as well if they'd like to get in contact with us at Insurance Search. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you join us. To all the insurance business leaders out there, whether you're based in the UK, the US or across the world, 
Thank you for listening to this podcast and we hope you've gained some valuable insights. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It's really great if you can give us a five-star rating or comment and give us your feedback if you've got anything you'd like to discuss further with us. Till next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House. Take care for now. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.